Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. Every person has a story to tell, and this podcast hopes to give an opportunity for those in the sport world to share their unique story. Each week, I interview a new guest to come on the show, and we talk about how they got to where they are in the sport world, what their daily life looks like, some misconceptions people have about their role, and we end with a fun rapid-fire segment to close the episode. If that sounds like something for you, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Julia Peden Designs. Need a design project done? Look no further than Julia Peden. She is a freelance multimedia designer who helps bring your ideas to life. She specializes in developing unique brands and logos for your business to stand out from the pack. The one and only sports logo was created by Julia and I absolutely love it. She helped me establish a brand and has provided ongoing professional advice for me to keep everything looking fresh and consistent. You can check out her projects and other works at juliapeden.com. That's J-U-L-I-A-P-E-D-N.com. Now with all that done, let's go. Welcome to episode 16 of the podcast. Today's guest is Jeanette Kwok. Jeanette is a certified athletic therapist and the founder of The Pocket AT. The Pocket AT is like having an athletic therapist with you 24-7. And Jeanette offers a free informational hub that can help improve your health from rehab to sport exercises and nutrition. As an athlete, she's had an accomplished career playing for Team Canada's Ultimate Teams in multiple tournaments. She helped start the Women's Elite Ultimate Club program in Toronto, played varsity badminton at York University, and flag football for the Toronto Wolfpack. She attended York University where she received a Bachelor's of Science in Kinesiology. Here is my interview with Jeanette Kwok. Alright, I'm here with Jeanette Kwok, the pocket AT herself. Jeanette, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm doing great. I'm excited to hear your story a little bit here. And we're going to jump right into segment one, your journey. So can you tell the audience, wherever they're listening, how you got to where you are today as an athletic therapist and starting your own website and informational hub, thepocketat.com? So I... Didn't know what I wanted to get into, but I went to York University for kinesiology and I thought I was really just going to become, you know, a gym teacher or a physiotherapist because those are the two most common things that people get into once they get into the kinesiology program. And then it wasn't until my second year that I took an athletic therapy course at York where I decided, yeah, that's what I want to do. So I applied and I got in for my third year. The application process was kind of thorough. Like you had to apply and out of all the applications, they take in, I think about 60 applicants to do the in-person interview. And in the in-person interview, they break you up into little groups and they have these stations where they test your emergency response skills. They test your time management skills. There's a panel of like important people there where they just fire questions at you. And there was a few other stations I can't remember at this point, but you go through all of that. And out of the 60 applicants, they take in about 20. And then you start the process. So it's a three-year concurrent program at York. And so I did five years in total. So to finish the kinesiology degree that I had, and then to get my athletic therapy certificate. Once you're done school, you have to write the national exam. 
So that's written with the Canadian Athletic Therapy Association. And that was probably the hardest exam I've ever had to write because during my graduation time, they've changed it now, but you had to do two different sections. You had to do a written portion, which was, I think, like 200 multiple choice questions. And then there's the physical section where they test your, your assessment skills, your treatment skills, your exercise skills, your sideline assessment skills. They check out your taping skills, like lots of different components to it and finished, passed, and then just started working right away. That's awesome. And can you share a little bit in terms of university, just the opportunities you had both playing a varsity sport and then helping out sort of with the varsity program there? Yeah, so I actually played varsity badminton myself. And so I followed the varsity badminton schedule. But then as an athletic therapist, you also follow a varsity team. So in my first year of the program, I followed the track and field team. And in your first year, you don't actually, you're not really in charge. So you're there doing all like the water girl work and you're putting ice on people, you know, just the basic stuff where you're learning about what it takes to be a good therapist, where the small things matter. Like, and that was a really busy schedule because then you're constantly on the go, not just with school and with your own team, but you're also on the road with the track team, right? In my second year, I got a little bit lucky. I I think it's lucky, but they sent me off campus. So I went and worked with U of T, um, University of Toronto. So I worked with their women's soccer team and I worked with their women's basketball team. And that was definitely a very big learning curve year because then you're you're thrown into the jungle, right? You are the head therapist, you're in charge of everything, you have people who are working under you. And so then, you know, you kind of have to just know what you're doing. Um, So it was really good. You still had a certified therapist that you were following. So if I really felt stuck about anything, I had a really great mentor there. Her name's Jen Bushell. She's great. So that year was even more crazy. I actually wasn't able to play varsity badminton that year because the scheduling was so insane. I would be up at like 5 a.m. so that I can make it for the 6 a.m. practices with the basketball girls. And then you would finish practice, you ice them up and give them whatever they need, head back up to York University to go to class. Sometimes I made it, sometimes I didn't. Um, And then once you're done class, you come back down to, I, I came back down to U of T, worked with the women's soccer team, and then you have your clinical hours. So I did my clinical hours. And then I decided to work with their cheer squad as well because we got paid with certain teams. So with the cheer squad, they they paid you to be there. So I worked with them until like 11 p.m. So I wouldn't get home until midnight. And then you kind of have to just do it again the next day. And then in my third year, I was sent back to York and I worked with their field hockey team, which was a really, really great group of, group of girls. That year, the, the field hockey season is a little bit shorter. So it was kind of a blessing for me where I was able to work with a varsity team, but still have enough time to focus on prepping for the national exam for that year. And so I played varsity badminton again. And it's just crazy because essentially you don't really have a lot of time for yourself or for other people. I would say I probably lost a little bit of that university experience because it's not like I can just party every day. (laughs) Um, It was a lot of work, lots and lots of work and not a lot of sleep. 
I got a really just quick side question here. But did the U of T teams ever play York? Like, was that... Did you ever have to... Oh, yeah, totally. Okay, so <laughs> I'm just trying to get into the mind here, okay? Because here you are, York Varsity Badminton, right? You're a York line. But now you're working for the Varsity Blues. So are the Varsity Blues thinking... This girl might be sabotaging us because <laughs> because York is playing us tonight in basketball. Like, is that a thing, or, or or can you dispel that right now? You know what's funny? I think for anyone who has played on varsity teams, you really are kind of a family because you spend so much time together, right? And so it's kind of crazy, and I know some York people are totally going to hate me for this, but for that year, I honestly felt like I was a UFT student. <laughs> and, like, to this day, sometimes I'll even still say, yeah, I bleed blue. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you just, you spend so much time, and, uh, like, I think most of them actually forgot that I went to York. I think most of them thought I was a UFT student. So I don't think that has ever come across. And just, like... Now as a therapist or even then as a student therapist, like your priority is is the the people that you're with, right? And so you never really think about like, oh, it's York versus U of T. No, it's it's kind of like I need to just focus on my athletes and what they need. So no, you don't really think about it at that point in time. Now when I look back at it, it's a little bit funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know what you need, Jeanette? You need that, like, half jersey, right? Like, half of it's the York Lion, half of it's, like, the U of T varsity blue sign. That's what you need right there. I went through a recent purge of my closet, and I had to keep one of each. <laughs> there you go. And in terms of your own athletic journey, um, you're an accomplished athlete just beyond the badminton court there. So can you talk about some of the sports that you've played as well? that may have or may not have that could have led you sort of to this career path? Yeah, I I actually have always loved sports and that's kind of what made it really easy for me to pick kinesiology as the degree that I wanted to get into. I used to play, you know, all the sports that you could in high school, but the main sports that I'm playing, yeah, the main sports that I'm playing now, I actually stopped playing badminton after university. I just stopped because, I don't know, I never really seeked it but I play a lot of ultimate frisbee which is kind of that's actually not how we met but that's how probably a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast know me so I play for the Sixers the Toronto Sixers and I played for a few Team Canada teams for ultimate you know nothing big no big deal or anything no no it's it was amazing great things super humble I like it <laughs> I also play flag football with the Toronto Wolfpack. And then I play a lot of volleyball on the side still. Nothing like professional with volleyball, obviously. I'm 5'3", but I still, I love that sport. And it's like the main sport for me that I will never forget. No, that's fair. So Jeanette, is there anything else as an athlete that sort of inspired you to become uh, an athletic therapist or get into this field? Yeah, so part of what I felt like kind of was my calling was that luckily I've actually never really been too injured um, with the exception of one really brutal injury that I had recently. But growing up prior to getting into university, I never had any injuries. 
But I did notice that a lot of my teammates had injuries and I never really understood why or how, because in that moment I was just kind of thinking like, how do we get them back better and faster and like ASAP? So I've always kind of was interested in understanding about injuries. And, and I think when I heard about that in the athletic therapy course and how it relates to athletes and sports in general, that's kind of what clicked for me. And I felt like if this is something that I can learn, then hopefully I'd be able to apply this to my teammates. And when I am an athletic therapist, that I can hopefully be a very good athletic therapist so that I can get athletes back as soon as possible, but as safe as possible as well. For sure. And so we're going to, we've done a little jumping around here in terms of your journey. So can we go back to, uh, you finished the exam, you've graduated. So what did you do post-graduation? So I didn't even wait for my athletic therapy results. Once I was done my last exam, I had a job the next day working as a kinesiologist because that's all they could hire me as in that moment. So I worked in a clinic. And this clinic was more of like a motor vehicle accident clinic. So there weren't too many athletes that went in there, but I still worked with a bunch of sport teams on the side. So I worked a lot with like hockey teams, rugby teams, lacrosse teams, some basketball teams, some football teams, and some other organizations that uh, organize sporting events. And once I was certified, I think that's kind of when I decided, okay, I'm going to work in a clinic that's more athletic therapy focused, but we'll still have some of that general population in there because it turns out I actually enjoy working with the general population as well. And then I tried to stick with just about two to three teams. So it ended up being about four to five jobs, but it was definitely a lot of fun. I definitely had a lot of that mentality where you got to work hard young and and you got to push as, as much as you can while you can. My sleep sacrificed quite a bit. My social life didn't because I would choose not to sleep. So I would literally work Monday through Friday and go to some practices in the evenings for myself and for teams that I was working for. And then on the weekends, I would travel with the teams. If it's not that far of a travel, if it's within Ontario, I would usually come back and I'd go out and party that night <laughs> and then do it again the next day. So... <laughs> I guess that's more of like a social life than my education, but that's pretty much what I did post-graduating. I worked in athletic therapy type of clinic. So then I became a massage therapist. I went to the Ontario College of Health and Technology in Stony Creek and got my massage license. So with that one, you also have to do um, kind of like a board exam as well. So we did that in similar format, multiple choice questions, and then the physical aspect of it. Once I got my massage license, I figured, you know what, why stop there? Let's go get my acupuncture license. So I went to McMaster and did the contemporary medical acupuncture provider course. And then once I finished that, I had maybe another year or two of working four to five jobs before I came down to two jobs only. <laughs> You see that Jeanette is basically a superhuman at this point because she doesn't sleep and she's partying <laughs> and also working and just doing the grind. So shout out to you and also your uh, now husband. He probably had to deal with a lot of this as well. So shout out to Jamie for all that as well. <laughs> um, 
Good man, good man. In terms of the Pocket AT, I mentioned in the bio earlier about what it, what it's for, this informational hub. What was your inspiration to start that, to kind of give back to sort of the general population? There's two things with it. So with the name itself, the Pocket AT, I actually got that from my patients because a lot of them have said, you know, I wish I could just kind of shove you into my pocket <laughs> so that I can take you home with me and then you can treat me whenever and give me advice whenever I need it. So I figured the Pocket AT was kind of the perfect name for it. And then in terms of what inspired me to create this kind of free information hub for people is that it's kind of my job is to promote and encourage healthy living um, and trying to live the highest quality of life that, that you can have. And I've noticed that not even with the, the sport population, but even just the general population, a lot of people don't have, you know, the, the best knowledge about their own health. And that's really important because you shouldn't have to grow older thinking that just because you're older, you should have back pain or that just because you're older, your knees should go, right? Really, they shouldn't. You just have a little more mileage on it. So you kind of just need to take care of it a little bit better. So that's kind of what inspired all of this to happen. And I've noticed that a lot of people were asking very uh, similar questions. And so instead of, you know, having to constantly repeat myself and then also really thinking about how many other people that I don't know who have these same questions, that's kind of what drove me into creating this platform for people of all ages and with people with all different types of backgrounds, right? Whether you're an athletic person, whether you are just your average desk job worker or if you're like a weekend warrior and, and you choose to be active on the weekends only. For sure. So I'll leave all that information in the show description as well. So you can take a look at that. And in terms of your journey, uh, both with the pocket AT and as an athletic therapist, you mentioned Jen as one of the people who helped you earlier. Is there anyone else that you want to shout out that really helped you on your journey to where you are now? Yeah, there's quite a few people now that I think about it. So Mike Boney, for those who don't know him, he's like amazing. He's an athletic therapist and a physiotherapist, and he's very good at what he does. He's actually the prof that taught the athletic therapy course when I took it. That kind of pushed me into that direction. So he's definitely someone who has really inspired me based off of his accomplishments and everything that he's done and, and his knowledge and, and the way he teaches. In my first year, Lauren, she was my mentor athletic therapist student. She was great in the sense where she taught me all the little things that make that big of a difference, right? So when you see your athlete is coming off the ice or off the field, it doesn't hurt to run some water to them. And like, it's, I guess it was easier for me to kind of be able to relate and understand to that because, you know, when you're done playing a point or two points or whatever it is, and you're coming off and you're exhausted, the last thing you want to try to do is look for your water bottle, wherever it is. So just doing like the extra small things to make it a lot easier for your athletes. And of course, just making sure that you have the best interest for them. In my second year, Jen Bushell, she's taught me a lot and then in my third year, Charlie, oh, Charlie, I don't remember his last name. Charlie works at PhysioPros. He also works with my He knows Bowie. who he is. He knows who he is. He knows who he is. He taught me everything that I needed to know about assessments and treatments and how to really listen to 
the person that's in front of you rather than trying to figure out the injury. Because if you just listen, you're going to figure out that injury. The other thing that he really taught me was that you can have two people who have the same type of injuries, but they can be getting it from two different sources. And so that's why the listening part is super important, because if you can figure out what the source of the injury is, you can solve their problem. <laughs> so those were the main people. Um, I have a few like student therapists that I like to give shout outs to. Eric Matias, he's like my homeboy. Known him since day one, has kept me through the program for athletic therapy, massage and acupuncture. So we, we are pretty much the same people. Samra, also a really good athletic therapist out there. Roville helped me through some hard times when I had zero sleep. And you just brought up some big names there in terms of people that helped you out. So I'm going to give you a chance to help out other people right now. What's some advice you would give to people who want to get into your line of work? Because some people may be like, hey, I really like helping people, you know, on my team with injuries, kind of what you were saying earlier. But what's some advice you would give them? Because some people might not really know. We'll get to this in segment three as well. But some people might not really know what it's like to be an athletic therapist. So what's some advice you would give to someone who wants to get into this field? You have to be really passionate about it. I think that's actually one of the biggest things because it is a lot of time commitment. As I mentioned earlier, sometimes you're working at least two jobs because you almost always start off working in a clinic and then you almost always start off working with a sport team as well because that's kind of why you got into um, athletic therapy, right? But it, it's a lot, a lot of time commitment, not just in school, but especially once you're done and you're looking for a job. It's a it should be a little bit easier right now because I think more people know about athletic therapy. And so a lot of clinics are starting to hire. But I know back then it was a lot more difficult to, to actually look for an athletic therapist position. The other thing is you have to understand that the most important person in the room when you're treating is going to be the person that's on the table, not you. And so you have to, again, really listen to what are the goals that they have. What are they trying to tell you in terms of the injury and try to give them the best care that you can based off of your knowledge. And then the last little bit, um, not just in athletic therapy, but in the therapy field in general, you always have to continue your education, not just to get the continuing education units that we always have to get. It's more so to continue your education because you know, the body is very, it's honestly a really amazing feat. Like we, there's so many things that we do know and that we don't know about the bodies. Everybody's very different. And so you have to continue learning because you're never going to know everything that, you know, you need to know or should know in order to give the best care. So keep learning. Don't stop. That's probably the three advice that I have. <laughs> so we're going to move to segment two here, day-to-day -day life. Uh, we're hoping here in uh, Toronto, at least, or just where you are in the world, that COVID's hopefully moving on its way out here. But we're recording uh, at a time where uh, some people are working remotely, some people are working in the clinic. So how has your day sort of been impacted by that? What does your day-to-day -day life look like as an athletic therapist, number one? And then number two, working on things for the Pocket AT. So the Pocket AT actually, I, I plan to launch it mid-March of 2020, which happened to be right once COVID started. So 
Prior to COVID, my scheduling was insane as per usual. The day my life looks like, you know, wake up early, take the dog out, <laughs> and then come back, get ready, do some notes. If I have private clients, then I'd go to see my private clients. And then if you have some time, then you would do some charting notes that you need to do. And then you would go to work. So then you would see, I would see anywhere from eight to 14 patients a day. And then once I'm done, if I still, if I still had private clients right afterwards, then I would go see the private clients and then I'd go home and do my charting notes. If I don't have private clients, then I would just try to do some charting notes and then go home and maybe try to get in a workout <laughs> and then eat, shower, chill, and then get ready for the next day. Like once COVID hit, obviously we had a lot more time because none of the clinics were open. And so I spent a lot more of my time. Did you get more sleep because of COVID? I did get to sleep more, actually. My sleeping, okay, so I know my sleeping was terrible as a student, but now that I'm not a student, like for eight years now, uh, I'm not a student, uh, my sleeping is way better. I get anywhere from like eight to 10 hours of sleep now. <laughs> so yes, I did sleep a lot more during COVID. But you still wake up really early, take the dog out, get a workout in now, and then do some more charting notes, do some work for the pocket AT, do some virtual appointments, you get to sit down and have lunch, which that's also a luxury. And then again, same thing, take care of the dog. COVID, you had a lot more time. So it wasn't, it definitely wasn't as busy there, but a lot of the focus was into the pocket AT, kind of keeping in contact with the people that I was seeing regularly in the clinic, just to make sure that they're still on top of their exercises and the stretches. And then just really getting ready for when we do open up again, which now obviously we are open again. So stage three, I guess, of COVID. The scheduling looks like you wake up, take the dog out. <laughs> You maybe get a workout in, otherwise you go see your private clients and then you go into work. And now we've really staggered our appointments so that you're not seeing as many people throughout the day as well. So I'm seeing anywhere from like six, six patients a day. And then you finish and go home, take the dog out, get a workout in, make some food. And then you watch a little bit of Netflix and do some laundry. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. There you go. You're living, you're adulting, it sounds like. Like real adulting stuff that, you know, I don't know if I really signed up for it, but. <laughs> it's too late now. You got a dog too. So in terms of your day-to-day uh, -day as an athletic therapist, what's the balance between sort of the admin side and the the clinical side and also the private client side? What's the What's the balance there, you think? I definitely spend a good amount of the time in the clinic, but sometimes when you're in the clinic, you do a bit of the admin work too. So the most amount of time would be allotted to the clinic, and then it would be allotted to my private clients, and then it would be allotted to the administrative work. The administrative work is probably <laughs> the worst part of our job. <laughs> I won't deny it. I think all the other practitioners will agree. Like, the administrative part is where you're sitting in front of a computer, right? And and with our jobs, you know, usually you would assume that if you got into this job, it's because you enjoy using your hands and you enjoy speaking to people directly. And, and so, you know, you like a lot more of the in-person physical stuff. So the administrative part, it's a pain, but it needs to be done because it is very important in the progress of your patients and in communication with the other practitioners that you would be working with. 
So that actually answers one of my questions there, Jeanette. So that's funny. But in terms of your day-to-day, in terms of seeing these injuries, I know you're talking about seeing the general population. But as an athletic therapist as well, working with um, some different athletes, what are the common injuries you've seen in some of the sports that you've played in? Some of the field sports like football and ultimate. Okay, so with the field sports, it's a lot of ankles, like ankle sprains. Uh, surprisingly, a lot of ACLs too. <laughs> I think I've seen way too many ACLs, to be honest. A lot of hip issues and then in and concussions. In court type of sports, like volleyball, badminton, I see a lot of shoulders, elbows, a lot of neck and mid-back issues as well. So Jeanette, on top of your already busy schedule, what are some other things you're uh, packing in the schedule right now? So I also have recently started personally training people because it goes hand in hand with my athletic therapy side, but also I train people like general population as well, because I've noticed a lot of people don't know how to squat properly. They don't know how to, you know, bring their arms up properly. And a lot of that improper mechanics, it can lead to these injuries that people are sustaining. So I've started personally training people and I find that everything just kind of encompasses together nicely in terms of living your highest quality of life. And then additionally, I like to give back to kind of the community as well. So I mentor a lot of students, whether they're going into athletic therapy or if they're in kin and they're unsure of which path to go to, I also mentor them. It's more so so that they understand kind of, you know, what athletic therapists do and really what therapy is or what real therapy would be and making sure that irregardless of whatever path they go down, so whether they become a physio, chiro, athletic therapist, massage therapist, osteopath, occupational therapist, like any of those paths that they understand that they need to be passionate about it and that they should want the best for the patient. Yeah, and that's something that if, as you're listening, you hear Jeanette talking about is really caring about your patients and wanting the best for them. So that actually leads really well to segment three, which is misconceptions. So people are going to have certain views of what an athletic therapist does. What are some misconceptions that you've heard that you kind of want to dispel? So the number one thing that I hear about athletic therapy is that you can only get treated if you're an athlete. That is so wrong. It just so happens that, you know, athletic therapy was born on the sideline of like a football team. And so that's just kind of the title that we have. However, you know, we can see, I see a lot of people who work desk jobs and they're not athletes, but you know what? It does take a lot of muscle to support your body in that seated position. And so don't have to be an athlete to see an athletic therapist. Another common misconception is that athletic therapists are like physio assistants, which is also just not true at all. We assess, we treat, we prescribe exercises, we can prescribe sports-specific exercises, we show you how to do stretches and foam rolling, and it's very similar to what physios, chiros, and whatnot, what they do. Similar to what I tell my students, I always tell them, like, don't worry too much about the field that you're getting into. It's more so about you know, what you're passionate about. Because at the end of the day, we all get people better. And that should be the goal. Another 
misconception that I want to bring up is about massage therapy because I've realized that after going through the schooling, most people kind of think about massage as in like you come in, you take off your clothes and then you get a massage. But going through the schooling, they can assess, they can treat, sorry, we, because I'm also a massage therapist. We can assess, we can treat, we can prescribe exercises, we can prescribe stretching and rolling. Very similar to all the other practitioners. Unfortunately, with the stigmas that they have, a lot of people don't aren't given that opportunity. I remember going to get a massage and I asked her to release my hip flexors. And she knew that I was a massage therapist and an athletic therapist. And so she looked at me and she's just like, I actually don't remember how to do this because nobody asks for this. And so I kind of taught her, but that doesn't, that doesn't matter. But the thing is when, when we allow massage therapists to actually do what, you know, they're taught in school to do, which is assess, treat, prescribe, they're able to continue that type of treatment for people. And so instead of going in and just taking off your clothes the next time you go for a massage, tell them what hurts and tell them what, you know, why it hurts and see if they can solve it for you. And then that way your treatment will actually be better because they're able to get to the source of your pain. So Jeanette, do you have any other uh, anything to add for this section here on misconceptions about your role as an athletic therapist or people just in the, the health practitioner field? Yeah, it's something that I have taught, you know, my mentees too. And it's something that I have tried to educate the patients that I see is that it doesn't really matter what type of practitioner you're seeing. So it could be an athletic therapist, it could be a chiropractor, it could be a physiotherapist. Again, at the end of the day, our job is to get people better. And it's really important to notice as well, like, it's not just about running your insurance dry. And it's not just about trying to get the person to come back in constantly. Our job and something that we've, you know, agreed to the moment that we said we were going to be a practitioner practicing in Ontario or in Canada in general, is that you should be getting the person better as quickly as possible, but as safely as possible. So it shouldn't really matter too much about who you're seeing unless you want to go to someone because of certain benefits that you have with your insurance plan. But at the end of the day, if you're looking for a good practitioner, it's going to be someone who's passionate and someone who will listen and genuinely wants you to get better. So it's not really going to be like, oh, who's a good chiropractor or who's a good physio or who's a good athletic therapist? Because there's going to be good athletic therapists. There's going to be bad athletic therapists, just like how there's going to be good physios and bad physios, good chiros, bad chiros. At the end of the day, you kind of have to do your research and kind of, you know, the best thing that you can do is try to go in and get a treatment because that's the best way to tell. If your practitioner is, you know, just putting some machines on you and then giving you some exercises to go home with, go find a new practitioner. But, you know, it should be someone who's giving you hands-on treatment. If they need to put on modalities, then that's fine. If they're going to prescribe you exercises, make sure that, you know, they thoroughly go through it with you and that you're performing the exercises correctly. You can do 50 squats all you want, but if you can do 10 good quality squats where you're firing the proper muscles that's going to pay off more than those 50 squats that you just did. And in terms of your position, how do you handle certain like potential negativity or misinformation in, in sort of this uh, field? How do you deal with that when someone comes to you and says, you know, athletic therapists don't know what they're doing or, or massage therapists or whatever? How do you handle that kind of on a personal level? I think that's just an educational piece, right? Most of the time, people who do have 
these misconceptions, it's probably because of some form of experience that they've had. And that's, that's fine. Like that's, you know, their experience. And of course they're, they're entitled to feel what they feel. But I think as a practitioner myself and kind of understanding and respecting all the different fields, it's very important to just educate that, well, no, like these people can do this. It's more so a matter of, you know, if they actually want to continue learning, if they want to be the best that they can be in their job title. I don't really have any negative feelings towards it because I think there is some understanding that it's probably because they've had experiences with, you know, whatever practitioner that wasn't as good. But my thing is just kind of try to be patient and try to educate each other. And hopefully, you know, everybody who's in this field wants to do what's best. And in terms of, uh, this will be the last question here for this segment. What are some things you didn't know about being an athletic therapist and kind of being in the clinical setting until you got there? I didn't know how much I would enjoy working in a clinic. I always thought, well, you know, playing sports, you would think that you just want to go work with professional sport teams or just sport teams in general. But I actually really do enjoy working in the clinic because you're able to help not only athletes in their sport, but you can help literally anyone achieve certain things that they weren't expecting of themselves, right? Sometimes when I'm able to get someone better within, you know, a certain period of time and they're very <laughs> thankful of it, I'm able to also educate them on their health and their gratitude and their, oh my God, I didn't know that. It, it's, it's always very, it's kind of why I love doing what I do because it shows me that like this person just acquired some more knowledge that is going to help them live a better quality of life. And then some misconceptions of athletic therapy in general. It's kind of the same idea. I always thought I only wanted to work with athletes. But again, I actually really like working with the general population as well. So I'm at a happy place where I am working with half athletes, half general population. And the athletes still range at different levels. So there's some amateur, there's some semi-pro, there's some pro. And it's great because then the sports-specific training that I get to do with them, it's totally different. It changes it up for me. And so it's not like I am being repetitive in any way. So we're going to move to segment four here, Jeanette. So uh, first question here, the rapid fire segment. As an athlete, what has your, been your favorite sports memory? So I have two favorite sports memory. One of them is, I think it was back in 2017, where Toronto Sixers first went to Canadian Nationals. And we were the underdogs playing against Vancouver traffic. I didn't have that great of a game, but the rest of the team played really well. And we ended up winning, which was amazing because I don't know. I don't know if that's what people were expecting. And then the other really good memory that I have was actually this past year at USA Nationals where we were Toronto Sixers again. We were kind of hoping to just crack the top four spots at USA Nationals, which is incredibly difficult to do because there's a lot of really great teams. And then we ended up becoming second. So that was, again, I think it's like the whole underdog thing that I really like. Um, so those two things really stick out in my memory as my favorite sports moment. And a non-sports question for you. I'm going to give you one last meal to eat on earth. You got to tell me the entree, 
what you're starting with as the appetizer, your dessert, and your drink. Okay, so for the drink, it's definitely bubble tea. What kind? I can't decide right now. I, I like, I'm one of those weirdos that likes the fruit flavors sometimes, but I also really like the milk flavor sometimes, but I also really like the slush sometimes. You're mixing it up. You're mixing it up. I like it. If I had to pick, it's either going to be grapefruit green tea from, from Cocos, though. It has to be from Cocos. Or like passion fruit, which is a very safe one. Or your ja jasmine green milk tea. <laughs> Shout out to Cocos uh, Bubble Tea. Hopefully you can get a sponsorship after this or something. <laughs> then the appetizers will be a sushi. And that'll be a lot of salmon sashimi pieces, particularly 30 if possible, with some salmon avocado rolls and some spicy salmon in there. I'm clearly huge on salmon. And then for the main meal, it'll definitely have to be pasta. I love pasta. The one that I make, though. I'm very picky on that. <laughs> and then for the dessert... I can't decide between steak or pizza. <laughs> so you're having a very large meal for your last meal, which is awesome. That's pretty funny. So next question here, I'm going to give you a chance to put on a concert in your backyard. You can book any band or artist in the world, living or dead. You got to pick three and the order in which they play. Okay, so Nat King Cole will open because his voice is amazing. It's, it really is kind of like timeless. Alicia Keys will be the main because I love her voice and same thing, like she just, she's so talented. And then to close it off, I have to go with Drake because <laughs> shout out for Toronto. And it'll probably just be really fun to kind of end off with him. And then you can have your whole uh, Sixers team, which in some ways may have been uh, inspired by Drake. We're not sure, but... Uh, mm, can't confirm. We'll go with that. <laughs> so fourth question here. What's the best advice you've ever received? I know you gave some advice earlier about being passionate to be in this field, but in terms of some of the people you shouted out earlier, what's the best advice you got from them? The best advice I got was to put down uh, your clipboard and listen. That's kind of the best advice I got because when you're learning, you're constant, you have like your clipboard up and you're writing things down and you're trying to really just take things down on what they're saying. And I've noticed that like, yeah, you don't actually take in as much information. Whereas if you're talking to them and you're listening, like you're genuinely interested, you, first of all, you remember a lot because the, what they tell you kind of ties together. And then because you're listening, you're taking in a lot more information and then you're able to kind of dive into it because no one's ever going to come to you and say, I got this shoulder pain from hitting this way in volleyball and I remember it kind of tweaking this way. Like no one's ever going to come to you and say that. They're going to come to you and say, I have shoulder pain. I don't know why. <laughs> and then you got to figure it out. All right. Here's a never before asked question on the podcast. We're, we're throwing this on the fly here. Talked a little bit off air about Jeanette's sports knowledge, so we're going to go with a little something different here. Uh, along with your last meal, you can eat with anyone in the course of history. Anyone. So who are you sharing that last meal with? Whoa, that is so hard. 
Oh, that's a good question right there. That's a great question. Okay, I'll let, I'll let you pick three. I'll let you pick three because it, it, it is a hard question just to pick one, so. So the first person will probably be my grandma. <laughs> she passed away when I was yo- like pretty young. And so it'd be nice to kind of have that meal with her and kind of talk to her then. I've always wanted to meet Will Smith. I have no idea why. I think he would just be so much fun and like just seems so honest and genuine. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, that's why. Probably. I'd love to have him at, at the table as well. And then, I don't know why, the only other name that's popping up for this last one is going to be Alicia Keys. I think I have a really big crush on her. <laughs> Just for the record here, her last meal with steak, I believe, is for dessert. You got some uh, sushi for appetizer and some homemade pasta for your entree with some bubble tea. It's going to be shared with your grandma, Will Smith, and Alicia Keys. So there you go. Jeanette, thank you for coming on the podcast today, taking time out of what we know for sure now is a busy, hectic schedule. So thank you for taking time to come on the pod. If our audience wants to find out more about you and what you do at The Pocket AT, where can they find you? So you can find me at The Pocket AT for Instagram. It's the same thing for Twitter, The Pocket AT. The website's www.pocketat.com. And the Facebook is The Pocket AT. And we have a YouTube channel. Same thing, Pocket AT. And one thing to note about that is you post different things on those platforms. So you got to kind of be glued in on everything there. Yes. Different content for each platform so that, you know, if you want more serious things, you're going to Facebook. If you want more like fun videos, it's Instagram. If you want more instructional videos, it's YouTube. And the website kind of combines all of that together. I'll leave all that information there in the show description so you can check that out if you feel so inclined. Jeanette, thank you for coming on the show today. Do appreciate it. Thanks, Theo. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Vanessa Varga, account executive from Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Hear about her daily life as an account executive where she manages various season ticket holder accounts for the Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto Raptors, and Toronto FC. Vanessa also shares about the importance of networking and putting yourself out there. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports and see some of my commenting highlights on YouTube at the channel Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.